On this Trinity Sunday, our world is not at ease. We've experienced civil unrest this week in over 150 cities across America, and the protests have even expanded into cities across Europe, Latin America, and Australia. People in our world are greatly dissatisfied. Dissatisfied to the fact that some people in our world are judged by others simply for the color of their skin. Yes, black lives matter. Absolutely. They matter because at the heart of the gospel, to think otherwise about anybody negates Jesus' final commission to the disciples, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing and blessing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and to remember, as Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. The world Jesus lived in, people in Jesus' world, related to each other in many similar ways to our world, but in other aspects, life was quite different. It was more distanced. People were even more stratified. In his day, people of different religious groups had very little to do with one another. Foreigners were never to be trusted. People who weren't part of your day-to-day -day were held at a great distance. Even neighbors who weren't members of the same family system were held at length. I seriously doubt we would like Jesus's world very much at all. The ideas many of us were taught when we were kids in school was that America is the world's melting pot, that we live in a blended but equal society where everyone has a chance to seek life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Many of us have held that idea as one that is very dear to us. It's one that is sacred. But the reality we see is that far too many people we know and love, far too many people we see, far too many people who are very our own brothers and sisters in Christ, far too many are not able to enter and fully participate in the public societal system that upholds this great melting pot idea of America. Racism has excluded them, sometimes quite intentionally, sometimes quite randomly. And sometimes racist actions and motivations have caused people to die tragic, horrific deaths. To those of you who react and say, this doesn't really have anything to do with me, I need to strongly but respectfully disagree. Here's why. And I'm quoting author and historian Ibram X. Kendi. Racial inequality and racism is a problem of bad policy, not bad people. I'm gonna repeat that. Racial inequality and racism is a problem of bad policy policy, not bad people. The vast majority of people this day and age want to do the right thing. Most everyone wants to be the champion of our neighbors. As Jesus commands, we actually do want to love our neighbors as ourselves. But many people aren't loved in our society equally. 
because structures in society have been implemented since the Europeans' first encounters with Native Americans and since the arrival of enslaved peoples at Jamestown in 1619. These structures have been created, implemented, enhanced, torn down, re-engineered, outlawed, dissolved, recreated, propagated, and maintained in such a way that they have created sometimes blatant, but most often, very subtle behaviors and qualities of our common life together that inherently place some people as more equal than other people. Many of us have not intentionally meant to hurt anyone. But sometimes we've profited or benefited from others in our society who have had that intention. It's not something we have actively done, at least not actively done most of the time. But it is still a way in which we have not fully lived into seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. It's a way in which we have not fully been ambassadors of the good news of Jesus that calls all the people of God beloved. It's a way in which we have not believed that our good shepherd, Jesus Christ himself, is really the one we look to as our guardian and guide. And as a result, unlike God, we have not sought the ultimate and greatest good for one another. We have cast doubt on the power of God. We've been like the disciples in today's reading where their eyes truly have seen the glory of the Lord in the form of the risen Christ, up there with them on the mountain, yet some doubted. Some doubted. Something happened that caused at least one or two or more of them not to fully understand what was going on in that epic moment at the end of Matthew's gospel. Some doubted. Like the disciples, some of us doubt. We doubt that we can actually make a difference when we demand God's mercy and justice upon our society. We doubt that we can learn and grow and truly change our worldview when it comes to seeing how our society has set up shop. We think that's the way it is. Instead of appealing to the better angels of our nature, we doubt that we can do better. We doubt, just like the disciples. We doubt. But the story in Matthew's Gospel and our story today does not end with doubt. No, it does not. What happens? What happens in the reading? Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus gives his disciples a blessing, a charge, a great commission to be blessed and to bless others by everything they do not just for the people of their hometowns, but for the world, that world out there that they don't even know, where people have different customs and different languages and different religions. Blessings for the entire known world, absolutely everyone. No one is out of reach. No one is out of bounds. In this great commission, 
absolutely everyone must be embraced, included, welcomed, blessed, everyone. Jesus doesn't leave any room for any exception with his disciples, and he leaves no room for exception to this with us. But how? How? How do we change? Change isn't easy. We might not even know what we need to change. We might still be resistant to even wanting to change or to even think about changing in any way. We might be really closed off to this idea altogether. That's why we do not need to, and we will never do this work alone. We do this work together as the church, as the family of God. Last week, we heard all about how the Holy Spirit poured the presence of God upon the disciples and blessed them with new life, new languages, new courage, new convictions to keep going with Jesus' ministry. That encouragement, that strengthening of the Spirit was given to them, and through the gathered family of God, that same strength and resolve and conviction to further the kingdom of God has been passed along to us this very day, right here and right now. We are not alone in this. Jesus has sent his spirit to dwell in each one of us, to take the ministry of Trinity Cathedral out into our own worlds, to take up the struggles of those on the margins, to be the advocates and to advocate dignity and respect and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation and justice we don't do this by ourselves. We don't do this just for ourselves. And we don't do this for political reasons. We do this work because it is precisely the work that Jesus gave his disciples to do in that great commission at the end of Matthew's gospel. And it is precisely the work that our life as baptized Christians calls us to do right here, right now in the year 2020, in the midst of this pandemic of COVID-19, in the midst of societal upheaval, in the middle of right where you are right now. The important thing is not to stop to not stop staying in fellowship with one another in the breaking of bread and the prayers, to not stop resisting, resisting evil, and when you slip up, return to God for forgiveness of love, to not stop proclaiming by your life the good news of God in Christ, and to not stop seeking and serving Christ in everyone, loving your neighbor as yourself, and to never stop striving for justice and peace among all people, respecting the dignity of everyone. We cannot stop. Not now. Not ever. We might have our doubts. You probably have plenty of them. We might have our doubts, but we cannot stop. I'll close with words from retired Bishop Stephen Charleston. They're too good not to repeat. He says, now is the moment for which a lifetime of faith has prepared for you. All of those years of prayer and study, all of the worship services, all of the time devoted to a community of faith, it all comes down to this. 
this sorrowful moment when life seems chaotic and the anarchy of fear haunts the thin borders of reason. Your faith has prepared you for this. It has given you the tools you need to respond, to proclaim justice while standing for peace. Long ago, the Spirit called you to commit your life to faith. Now you know why. You are a source of strength for those who have lost hope. You are a voice of calm in the midst of chaos. You are a steady light in the days of darkness. The time has come to be what you believe. Be what you believe. Go to all the nations, proclaiming a love of God that is bold and knows and knows no boundaries imposed by society. A boundless love that we give freely, not just because we have it inside, but because Jesus has given it to us for our use today and forever. Jesus is with us always, here and forever. Be what you believe.